You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network. My name is Manish and it is February 4th, 2020, Thursday night, and I'm here with the one and only, the master of disaster, Abby. The master of disaster. Oh, buddy, you always put me on the spot with these. I should write them beforehand. They got to just roll off the tongue, you know, you can't spend too much time thinking about them. I know, I was like magic Manish, like, yeah, anyways. I'll leave it to that. Moving that on. One. So, <laughs> so uh, today we've got, I think, a, a, a nice change of pace, which is that the last couple episodes we've done um, have been what we call, you know, the Chicken Little series, which is the sky Doom is, and gloom. Doom and gloom. The sky is falling. Beware, beware, beware. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about that because we weren't hearing enough people bring that to the forefront and talk about the urgency of that. But now sentiment has changed, or sorry, now news outlets have changed and all we're hearing is doom and gloom. Yeah, we're starting to hear more about it and I think people are starting to see it more. Um, but, you know, Abby, you made a great point last time we recorded, which which uh, after we finished, which was, you know, I, I'd like to do uh, more of a positive episode as well because... Well, yeah, because you, you, like, yeah, exactly. You know, we, you and I both are in it for the long term. Absolutely. And we both believe in this space. We think there's real, we think we know that this is a real business. There's compelling fundamentals. And I don't want to say all the demon gloom is noise because it's not. It's definitely Absolutely not noise. Not, no. But um, it's very, it's 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 always a good refresher to be reminded of your long-term horizon. Absolutely, absolutely. The light at the end of the tunnel. So today we're really talking about the longer game. I'm not even going to say long game. Um, just the... The longer game. So in the short term, it's easy to be pessimistic, and you should be pessimistic, in my opinion. I think there's a lot of pain to come. For sure. But I still look at cannabis as one of the greatest investment opportunities of our lifetime. And the pain that's going to come, actually, I think will create some of uh, some opportunities, which may be the very best investments we ever get to make. Okay, And that's what we want to talk about today is the long-term view or longer-term view of why you should be optimistic, what to look for, um, you know, the reasons that we are optimistic, and, you know, you know, the reasons why we're still invested in the market. Even with the negativity coming up, you know, we, we didn't pull all the way out. You know, we're just raising some cash so we can redeploy it. Um, but there's good reason to be optimistic in the longer term. Right. Uh, and just the last thought on that is that, from what I've seen, and, and again, this is just measuring people's sentiment and online, people flip too far from, from one side to the other, right? So people were too hyped up and they were they had rose-colored glasses on and they didn't yeah, want to hear... Yeah, they peak to trough, like... Exactly. You know? And now it's the other way around where there's just a ton of capitulation and people, again, online, are saying, oh my God, the sector is total crap. Why did I ever get involved? And they're, and they're completely getting disheartened. Yeah, and even when I talk to some professionals, they scoff. 
like, oh, oh yeah, cannabis. You know, it's it, it's just getting beaten up all around, and right. why would anybody invest in now, it? Now, are they scoffing because of cannabis or because they're talking to you? I mean, it's a little bit of both, but, you know, I, I'm eliminating the initial scoff that I usually right, get. Right, okay, so got you. It's double scoff. Yeah, 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 got you. are normalizing, so it's... <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm accounting for, uh, for trailing airs here. But no, when, when we were writing this episode, one thing that I always had that kind of reoccurring thing that went back in my mind was why did we get into this space in the first place? Absolutely. Right. And I think you said it right off the get-go. It is an op- it is an investment opportunity of a lifetime. Absolutely. And it, and it actually is. And I still believe that today, even with everything that's going on, yeah. this is still the best opportunity of a lifetime. Absolutely. And if anything, I think the opportunity now is actually better than it was when I started in 2017. And I'll tell you why. Because in 17, we didn't know what was what. We didn't know what legalization was going to look like. We didn't know what the rollout was going to look like. We didn't even know what what the companies were going to look like, what the supply chains were going to look like. So we were really throwing darts back then. We had to go off of business plans and management, you know, just gut feel, how much we liked them, how much we trusted and believed in them. Uh, That's not where we are today. Right. Uh, the, the now we're in a place where we can actually see financial results. We can see which companies, which markets, which teams are executing and performing well. Right. And yet, thanks to all the negativity that we're entering into and that we've been through, we still get to buy at pretty depressed prices. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, depressed prices. We'll touch back on that. Sure. Because, you know, that's a relative term. Right? It, is a, but, it is. It is a relative term. Um, but what I did want to add to what you were saying earlier um, was just that we had that opportunity because it was such a it's still a nascent industry, but at that time it was literally in the first inning, right? So we had no idea how the game was going to play out. Right. I would say it wasn't first inning. It was almost like it was the pregame show, right? We were we were waiting like we didn't have legalization yet. We didn't know how it was going to happen. Right. So we're almost before the game. This is a weird metaphor, but we're before the thing happens, we're looking at it and speculating. That's you had to do that, yeah. right? Or you weren't we didn't in the game. Know what game we were playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just showed up. You know, we're, we're showing Some people up. showed up with we're, hockey skates. Yeah, other people buy, with baseball exactly. bats. We're buying tickets to a game. We don't even know what sport they're playing. Yet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what? Maybe you could just run through the agenda of sort of what we're going to talk about. Yeah, for sure. So, um, like I said, when we were when, when I, we're writing this episode, thought about originally why we started investing and mm-hmm. why still to this day both you and I remain optimistic on this right so we want to talk about the catalysts in the sector right I really think that there's four main catalysts um, that are gonna help propel this sector going forward okay um, first one's just sort of store growth launch of cannabis 2.0 second continued expansion third is uh, broadening application of cannabinoids fourth is biosynthesis we'll go back into it um, and then just kind of wrap it up with just a little overview of every single thing that we do and then when we were chatting earlier um you know you you had brought in some real estate parallels that uh, i think just work really well for this episode sure um so you know what so, let's just get yeah so so before we get into the catalyst part i just wanted to share a thought which is that um for a lot of us uh cannabis represents our first major foray into investing right so for me personally Again, I've got seven years of commercial real estate experience, both uh, you know on the brokerage and financing side, but also through the family office side and, and being involved in purchasing of commercial real estate. Um, but that you know, I didn't. I had very limited stock market or business investment experience, right? So 
the beauty of it was I, I got to see and I, and I learned from the commercial real estate industry. And in that industry, nothing happens quickly, right? Like people buy with a really long-term intention. And so I think, you know, to your point, Abby, what, what one of the issue, big issues we had was that a lot of novice new investors, including myself, we get into it and you know, you buy something today and suddenly it's two or three X in a month. And that's how you think things are supposed to work. You go, oh yeah, things just shoot up like that. Well, that's how you and I actually got along was because we both looked at valuations and we're like, right. these multiples are outrageous. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. But the, the funny thing was like, you know, yes, we would say, man, these, these PE multiples people are using forward are, are egregious, um, but we were still investing. It's not yeah. like, you know, it's not like we were like, wow, we should really sit on the sidelines or no, whatever. No, but we were avoiding like the ones that were True, that true, that's landed, true. And that's right? from the beginning why yeah. we said Canadian LPs, from the time we started this podcast, we said, be careful in Canada and be careful of the Canadian LPs yeah. because the price targets they were using and the multiples they were using, I was like, how can you use a 20, 25, 30 times your EBITDA multiple for two years in the future? This is insane. Yeah, when you don't even have any EBITDA. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so... So what the point I'm just making is real investment, real business, you take a longer term view. And that's what I learned in commercial real estate. Because when people buy an asset, they don't sell it two months later because it went up 10 or 20%. That just doesn't make sense. People really buy it with the intention of, I might hold this forever and give it to my kids. Yeah. But then reality sets in and maybe five or 10 years later, they no, or, or two I mean, years later, they choose to sell it. Yeah. If I could add, add some commentary on the real estate side, because I've been more on the capital market side. Yeah, sure. Uh, for longer time, prefs, fixed income, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, on the real estate side, you don't know the price of your property every second. And yeah, it's not absolutely true. as easy to sell the property, yeah, right? The so high that friction. is, yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. there's a couple hurdles and barriers, but I think you're, I think you're right with the mindset that you go into when you buy real estate because the barrier to entry is so high. Yes, absolutely. You're holding it for a lot longer period. Yes. It's slow and steady. Yes. Wins the race. But my point is, I think you make better decisions that way. One, when you think that way. And secondly, is that, um, is that you you see that things take time. Nothing changes, you know, in a month or or two months or three months. It really takes years to build a business and develop something. Right. And, but and in, that's where we are today. But in this space, in this space it's a little bit it is a little bit different. Uh, right? No, absolutely, absolutely. And the stock market is different, it's a different animal. All I'm saying is if you want to be an investor, it's important to have a longer term focus. For sure. And don't be fooled by 2017, 18, 19 where you know things were every day something was happening. It's not really like that. That's not what normal business is like. No, exactly. That's not what normal sectors are like either. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? So sorry. Let's let's go through. You you got a couple of uh, catalysts here, right? So so these are I think the obvious uh, tailwinds, which will be basically fuel to the cannabis fuel to the fire of the cannabis industry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, look to get it really just off to start this off. You know, there's an very encouraging regulatory movement okay. in the space. And there's just an overall uh, addressable market that's increasing. Sure. Right. And it's happening all all the time. Now, that's not to say that there aren't short-term challenges, right? Sure. You can go back to our previous episodes. You can go over those. Um, but however, if we take what you're talking about, the longer-term view, and when I say long-term, I don't mean one quarter. I don't mean one year. I mean, like, really, like, a long-term view. Like right? five, five years? Five to ten years. Right, yeah. okay. If you really look at the sector from five to ten years. So in this one, in this episode, we're not going to talk too much about the actual companies or the stocks. 
might mention one or two, but really it's more the thesis. Sure. Like how to thinking about where they're going and what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Of why this is not a right. BS industry. Right. This is a credible industry. Yeah. And, right. and just to touch on that. The reason I keep saying longer term view is because when I think about the cannabis industry, I think in terms of two to three years. Like well, it's I, only been around for five years. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. So uh, we're saying double that time yeah. horizon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so you're right. When you say long term, I think you're kind of talking five plus years. But I think about what's happening now in this in this investment opportunity is two to three years, just to be honest with you, right? For sure, for so, sure. But I see a lot of positive catalysts that you're going to go through here over yeah. the next couple of years. So let's let's go through. Well, them. one of the main ones. Um, this is really focusing on Canada. Yeah. Right, is that we are so positive on Canada, and that's the retail, um, the retail distribution and store growths that are promised here in Ontario. Absolutely, that's going to be massive. Yeah, that was one of the main issues in 2019. Yes, bottleneck in distribution. People couldn't get access to the products, mm -hmm. um, and they couldn't get access to the products because there weren't enough stores. Right. Yeah. So let me just jump in here. So um, we talked about this before, but there was a Stats Canada report at the end of the year. Um, that basically showed that 90% of cannabis purchased legally in Canada was purchased through a brick and mortar store. So online sales, clearly, clearly not doing the trick for cannabis. Yeah. I mean, but online sales, again, five years down the line could be a different landscape. Sure. We don't know, but we're just saying right now, 90% of cannabis is being purchased in stores. So right. it looks like if you, th if you open a store, the pie grows. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's just that's just as easy as you can you can make it. Right. So uh, to your point, yes, Ontario, this is a refresher, currently has 24 stores open. Yeah. There's another roughly uh, 45 coming online, I'd say in the next, you know, like this quarter. Well, April, maybe. right. That's when they no, 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 like have already been approved last year. Yeah. And yeah, they're yeah. just working through the process. Yeah. They're actually going to be open. So I think around April. No, no, like the first one's already open. So like they, they're going to oh, be really? open like any week now. Like it just depends on how quickly they can move through the process. Okay. But they're deep in the process. Like these gotcha. guys are, these guys are very close to opening. Yeah. Then in April. Right. Then in April, we're rolling out, uh, we're, they're granting 20 licenses a month from there. Gotcha. Okay? Gotcha. Um, so, so that will be goodbye to the lottery system. Uh, but again, that will be a slow rollout. Like, yes, you'll get 20 licenses granted in April. But as we've seen from the last round of licenses, it'll probably really take you six months to open up and get running. So those April licenses probably won't open towards the until towards the end of the year. Right. Right. And overall, it'll be, and it'll be a rolling open for you know because every month you'll have another twenty licenses for sure. And overall, I mean that's you know new stores, um, that's going to add to new sales. Massive catalyst. <clears throat> like you're talking, I mean. Uh, that is unleashing hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue right. in Ontario. And then recently as well, Cannabis 2.0, we've talked about that multiple times. Mm -hmm. I don't think we need to go too much into it. It's just yeah, but high just, concentration extraction it, products. Yeah, these are the products everyone's been waiting for. Yeah, the edibles, right? we, the vapes, we've, we've the been waiting, and, and just to touch on edibles and vapes, I think the, I think the edibles are going to capture a lot of newer users. Because I think the heavy users are going to stick to black market edibles because of the low dosage. But I think a lot of new users are going to come in and try these products. I think, I think they're really going to like them. Sure. The vapes, I think, will actually capture a lot of the entire market. I think a lot of black market consumers will buy legal vapes. That's my theory because uh, people are worried about what they're putting into their lungs now. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we've hammered that before. Right? Cannabis 2.0 is going to be a massive tailwind for this industry. Yeah. Couple that with the um, uh, new stores that are going to be opening up. Yeah. This should take 
uh, away from the black market. Now, yep. there was actually a very interesting stat that came out from a Scotia research report. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scotia is one of the investment banks here out in Canada. Um, and just uh, they quoted Stats Canada. So according to, to Stats Canada, cannabis spending in Canada has been about $1.5 billion, uh, but at the end of Q2 2019. Now, that includes Q1 2019, Q4 2018 as well. And how they got to this number... Again, there is some wiggle room here, but this is from Stats Canada. How they got to this number was they said roughly about $440 million was done through legal recreational sales, $918 million in illicit recreational sales. Now, again, this is a number that you can't confirm. It's completely 100%. made up. <laughs> right, 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 right. Anyway, well, but- so, so just to, like, let's just recap what you just said. So basically, Scotia was saying that in, Stats Canada was saying. In, okay, in, in 2019, the first half of the year, you had about 450, roughly, of legal sales. Yeah, since and, the inception of legalization. Yeah, and, oh, since the inception. Yeah. Oh, got it. Okay. So that's why Q4 no, I don't think, I don't think so. I think that was six months. I think that was just the first six months of 2019. No, I think when we calculated, we no, added no, no, Q... I, no, no, I think it was, the number was too low to be uh, since inception, but... Whatever. Let's just say okay. roughly four hundred and fifty million of legal sales. The point is, the black market they're estimating to be about twice as big. Yeah, exactly. That's what the point is yeah. trying to get across. Right, not, right, right. I mean, like we, we don't know if that nine eighteen is real right. or not. So it is. I actually think this is underestimating the market, in my opinion. So sure. based on what we're seeing in California, and again, this is this is the hard part about something that's illegal in the black market. We don't know. Like we're just guessing how big it is. But what they're saying in California is they're estimating that the black market is three times as large as the legal market. Three to four times as large, by the way. Right. But that multiples an estimation as well. Of course. Right? Of course. So, but when you look at this, they're saying it's only two times. Right. So this to me doesn't ring true. I think they've underestimated, if anything, my okay. opinion. Which is even we better. We don't know. We don't know, though. Right? <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. You're right. You're right. We, do, we don't know that. But what the point that I'm trying to get across here is that, you know, you've got legal market sales yeah. and you've got an even larger opportunity to listen. Absolutely. Now, the 2.0 products are going to be more desirable products that consumers want. Yep. The in, uh, increase in retail storefronts is going to make it easier for the consumers to access these products. No question. Right. And so that are those are both nice incentives to get away from the illicit market. Yes. So essentially what this report is trying to say, whether it's two times, four sure. times, whatever, is saying that there is still growth opportunity. Huge. Without even new entrants. Huge. I mean, even if you just look at that number on its surface, the fact that we were, that the legal market was able to take out, you know, whatever it is, 20%, 30% of the black market yeah. in one shot, that's pretty impressive, right? Like this is a, a brand new market that's been around for less than a year. Uh, in this, you know, from these stats, it was probably only around six months. Um, and remember, a lot of stores hadn't even opened when this, when this, uh, uh, from this stat, right? And the fact that they're able to eat such a large chunk of the black market is very impressive. Mm-hmm. And this is just flour. Remember, this is just flour and oils. There's no 2.0 or edibles or anything like that in here. Exactly. So, you know, like, that's why we really think that 2.0 is going to be a massive tailwind. Yep. Um, and then... You know, if you take these ratios into consideration, not necessarily the numbers, but if you take those ratios into consideration, mm-hmm. you can see that there is still opportunity for the market to grow without the addition of new entrants. Yeah, and you're, you're just talking about taking a bite, like transferring the illicit market to the legal market, right? right exactly. And, and then on top of that, there is the new entrants coming in. Exactly. So that's like the cherry on top. Absolutely. Right. 
Having said that though, you know, I don't want to paint such a rosy picture because there are going to be some challenges, right? And one of the challenges that the one of the challenges that I think that the legal market is going to have to uh, face here is um, the they're going to have to adapt the products that consumers actually want, right? So they don't know, for instance, when a Canadian LP creates a I don't know a, a 2.0 product, they've never really tested that out in the market before. They can't. They couldn't have. Right. So they're going to put it out. Right. Right. Now, where the black market has an advantage is that the black market has already been doing this for years and years and years. Right. So they know the products that they want. Right. Um, so people can be like, well, you know, that's not that sounds like a disadvantage. At first, it is a disadvantage. However, though, as the as the legal industry starts to sort of gain momentum and subtraction, these black market uh, participants will move over to the legal market, right? I'm not saying that their brands will, but the people who have operated there will be able to take their expertise and their skills and bring them in to the legal market. And we've seen this with like company like Valens. Valens was a legacy market operator, and then they went into the legal market. Interesting. Right? I didn't know that. Yeah. And so with that, I mean, it's not like that they just left all their knowledge in the black market. No, sure. they took all that with them. Sure. And that sort of propelled them to be who they are today. Sure. So, so yeah, good point. Um, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. I don't know that all the black market's going to shift over to the legal market. No, I don't. No, sorry. I shouldn't say all. Yeah. Right. But, I don't, you, but more of it will start to move over. over some time. will. Some will. It depends how easy Health Canada makes it and whatnot. Right. But yeah, I, I think more of what's going to happen personally is like, you know, a market needs a buyer and a seller. Right. So the, I think the sellers will always be there. I think the buyers are going to start to migrate over. Right. So when you can buy, you know, original stash from the, you know, the OCS or your local store, you can buy, you know, um, an ounce for five dollars a gram all in with taxes. That's pretty compelling. You're talking dry flour here. Yeah. Dry flour, for yeah. example. Right. Now, the 2.0 products are nice because they're going to be able to offer things that consumers haven't had before. So this is what I'm trying to get at. Is okay, that sure. The products that they're offering they're just blindly offering it's not like right, they're pointing right, it's right, not right, like right. nike well they don't know like coca-cola yeah, yeah, right. and they're like hey listen we know people like this so we can make our next drink based yeah, off they of don't this. have the ability to do like they don't have the data they don't have the right. feedback whereas the black market does because yeah, they sure. dealt directly with that consumer the black market was pretty sure. sophisticated you got to remember that yeah right? oh, absolutely it's still especially, especially in canada and in california like yeah. these, are, these are sophisticated operations we're talking about exactly and so what i'm trying to say is that when these I guess participants mm -hmm. migrate over to the to the legal market as eventually some will right. They're going to be able to take that knowledge with them. Okay, right? interesting. And so there there are a lot there are a couple com companies in Canada sure. that are doing that right now. Sure, right, and it's it's an advantage. I, w I wouldn't say it's an advantage. I guess it's kind of an advantage for them. But um, you get do you do you understand what I'm trying to say? I, I hear what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree with you 100. percent But uh, I I understand your point is that there's no feedback loop right now. And there, I think more likely what will happen is, same thing with flour. As we work out the supply shortages of 2.0, and you have more products, and you have more data, and you have more sales, you'll right. get you'll better start, feedback loops. And you'll start honing right? in the products that do better. Exactly. And you'll right. figure out what people want. And, and that's the way to do it. I mean, you can do all the focus groups you want. It doesn't mean anything. Realistically, you, you make a product, you put it out, you test it. Right? right, and you see how it sells, you see how it's received, and you adjust. Right, but in a lot of analyst expectations, I don't think that that's actually covered. I really think that people are just like, okay, well, two point products. People want vapes and edibles. Well, edibles is a very vague broad, term. Yeah, it's a very broad category. Right, yeah. <clears throat> and so you know maybe people don't want, I don't know, brownies. They probably want gummies or something. And so the black market or the illicit market 
we'll have already have that information of what's going to sell and what's not. Right. Uh, again, and so, uh, again, yeah, I don't want to keep going in circles, but the, just the point is, like, you can see also, you can go into an illegal dispensary and see what's selling. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they, only they have that knowledge. Like, people can go in and see. Yeah, what, they do that. And they, I mean, like, you can, you can also look at California. You can look at mature markets yeah, exactly, and do exactly, that. Exactly. So exactly. that's there. I'm, I'm not saying that they can't do yeah. that. I'm just saying that this is a disadvantage that people are not factoring in. When 2.0 rolls out, there are going to be products that get returned. There are going to yeah. be products that don't sell. True. Right? True. And so you've got to factor that into your model. Yeah, it's not being enough. factored in. Yeah. And I think in the black market, that makes sense. Second challenge that I think that's going to really happen is the distribution just rollout of the products on a national scale. Um, you know, we're already seeing some issues here in Ontario, but I think going on a national scale, that might be an issue as well. Again, this is all on the first point. And then the last uh, issue that a lot of people have been sort of bringing up is converting people from the black market to the uh, legal market. And I think that that's a short-term issue. I think you said it earlier on. People like the buyers will migrate over. Yeah, right? and and look, we've got to make it easy, right? We've got to make it easy to like have stores accessible to people, right? So in places like Quebec, where there's only like 35 stores for for like you know 12 million people, and they're they're like if anything, they said they're slowing down their retail rollout. The black market's going to be very strong in Quebec, and you know there's there's some theories, conspiracy theories that they want it that way. I don't know if that's true, but, sure. you know, it certainly looks like they're doing everything to help it. Whereas in Ontario, I think when you end up having 200, 300, 500 stores in Ontario, I do think it's really going to hurt the black market. Yeah, absolutely. And then another thing, this is not one of the main points um, that I wanted to kind of talk mm -hmm. about on another positive. It's just a speculative thought. We were chatting about this earlier. I did write, write it down as well. Just given the popularity of CBD yes. in the United States, um, in Canada, CBD is falls under the Cannabis Act, right? Which means it's very limited in its distribution. It has the same handcuffs that THC has. Eventually, I do think that CBD will fall out of the Cannabis Act. Sure. Now, that's not based off of any research. It's just something that I just think is the natural progression of this industry. Yeah, I, I have. If you I, take I have the actually US. seen some. Yeah, I've seen some articles now that that seem to be indicating that Health Canada is reviewing. Sure. Exactly. Like you know, uh, expanding the distribution and and taking it out of just being pure uh, treated like THC. Right. Absolutely. And so, so, if, so sorry, go ahead. Yeah. if that were to change. Mm -hmm. CBD then falls out of the Cannabis Act. That's going to open up massive opportunities for uh, like big box stores. I'm going totally. to use a company called Loblaws. It's a big company yeah. out here. Mm -hmm. um, well, shoppers, right? Shoppers would probably start carrying CBD tomorrow if, if they could. Yeah, but shoppers are a little bit difficult because they're also a pharmacy, right? So they might get like a license. Well, just again, it depends the rules. If you can certainly put it on on shelves, yeah. Like if you could put it on the shelf of a grocery store, yeah. I can tell you right now, shoppers would carry it for sure, and they'd probably carry a shoppers brand. Yeah, and it wouldn't be in their prescription section. It exactly, would be, it would be yeah, it would be, be in like their wellness over, over the or counter. The, exactly, exactly. So, exactly. So sorry, let's just talk a little bit about CBD because I think this is actually really underappreciated um, because of the investment landscape of CBD and because of the way the CBD investments have gone, which is quite poorly. Um, people have kind of given up or forgotten about CBD. But this is the core thesis, I think, of, of what is very important to remember with cannabis investing, is that we are talking about an industry, a good and service, a CPG industry, that is growing in terms of sales by leaps and bounds, right? The question, the core question is, who captures the money associated with the sales, and can they make any profit on those sales, right? Those are the difficult parts of 
that we're trying to that people are trying to figure out, right? Right. Yeah. But CBD, I mean, the proliferation of it in the last year. I think it's beyond anybody's expectations. Nobody, like a year ago, was the first time I was even hearing about CBD. And, it, uh, you know, a, uh, probably February of last year was the first time I ever tried CBD, buying it from the OCS. And I've talked several times about the Hexo spray. That has been a life-changing product for me. Like, that is part of my routine now. I will probably be buying CBD for the rest of my life, right? And the non-psychoactive component of it, but the wellness component and the the myriad of effects it has positively, I'm constantly amazed by, right? So I think it is totally underappreciated, the uh, pain relief side effects, the anxiety. And look, a lot of, uh, I think some, some more cautious people will rightfully say, look, we don't have the research yet. Fair enough. I, right? would, I would go with on, on 100%, side. fair enough. What I'm saying is I'm a believer in CBD and I am optimistic that now that we're able to start doing the research, which is starting now, um, we're going to see over over time the different uses of CBD, right? Yeah, but there's also the other aspect of CBD mm-hmm. where I've seen this in the States. It's just put into everything. Absolutely. And and that's that's part of the mania. And that's, right. that's going to stop. Exactly. We're, we're not going to have CBD in every, you know, eye cream and in whatever. Hummus. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. There's CBD and hummus down in the States. Yeah, so so I think that's going to stop, hopefully. But I think also the flip side of that is the biggest problem with CBD, in my opinion, is the quality and the quality assurance. Because especially in the States, where it's basically completely unregulated, you just don't know what you're getting. And that seems to be the biggest problem with the CBD. Like, So I tell people, hey, if you want to, you know, here in Toronto, I tell people, if you want to try CBD, go on the OCS buy the Hexo spray and try it for yourself. Because yeah. then, then I know you're getting something good. I know the format's also quite good for absorption and whatnot. And if that, if you try it in that format and it works for you, great. As opposed to a topical sold at a gas station. Exactly. Which is how a lot of it's done in the US. Yeah. So, so you make a great point, which is that um, what happened in the US also shows you that, you know, you can do a ton in sales and yet the biggest companies don't end up making any money on it, right? Or make such such a small amount of money, it doesn't justify their crazy valuations, which is what you saw happen to Charlotte's Web, right? And that's why that company has been pummeled. Not because it's not a good company, not because it doesn't have a good product or a good brand. It does. It has all those things. But the valuation was just way too lofty compared to the reality. And when you don't have these high barriers to entry, like licensing and capital and et cetera, competitors pop up overnight. And suddenly the market was flooded with cheap, crappy CBD, right? And that was a big problem. So the point with CBD is if we can regulate the quality and we can get the education out there, I per- my personal thesis is that over the next couple of years, you are going to see it become a uh, much more popular controlled substance, like an opiate substitute. That is my personal theory. Um, so mine's actually the opposite. Mine's okay. that it falls out of the cannabis act, okay, right, and it goes more onto the wellness side as yeah, opposed to the health about in side. Canada. In Canada, yeah. yeah. So I agree that I do think that is coming, but I just mean overall, like I think it will start to be like right now it's appreciated as like a fad, right? Like you Absolutely. said, it's, it's in everything. It's in hummus, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But I think we're going to start seeing the research that it is effective for pain management. That it is effective. We already know, like GW Pharma, it's effective for you know young kids with seizures, right? So there's a there's a, a theory from from one of our friends actually that 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 will start being prescribed off label, 
right? So people will start using that for, for other uses as well. Um, and that is something apparently that happens quite often with different kinds of drugs. So right. I, I think that CBD is here to stay. Um, yeah, I think the mania is going to die down and it needs to die down. But I think that is a very positive tailwind for the industry. Absolutely. Exactly. It's just another another, another catalyst or I guess that's like a, a subsector of a catalyst. Yeah. That so I think is it. And so another one. So mm-hmm. going back to the original agenda, the second main catalyst that I think um, or that we think is going to add quite a bit of uh, momentum to the space is just the continued expansion of international recreational and medical markets globally yeah right they're like just a just like a longer longer term view sorry everything we focused on up in this episode so mm-hmm. far has been canada but you know there are larger opportunities in the global markets and so you know um we, we've seen a couple like lps we've seen a couple even extraction companies um just companies in general sure. have global strategies put in place you yep. know trying to get into europe and, and mostly those have been a bust so far Absolutely. Right? Like, let's keep it real. Like, most of them have been crap. For sure. This is a longer-term view, yeah, though. Sure. Right? This is still a positive catalyst coming out. I'm not saying that tomorrow yep, yep. Europe is going to open up and all 740 totally. million people are going to be rubbing CBD topicals <laughs> on themselves. But you let know? Me, so, so let's let's just touch on this for a second because I think this is important. So Mexico will be going legal. It's been, it's been exactly. dictated by the Supreme Court. Now, nothing happens as fast as we want it to happen, but Mexico is 80 million people. Right now, they don't have the same spending power as, you know, people in Canada and the U.S., but that's still a crazy amount of people. Right. That is a huge catalyst. And that's not a five year thing. That is probably a two or three year thing we're talking about. Right. But so far, and I agree with you, I agree with you. But so far, there's about 40 countries that have either legalized it on a recreational. Wow. I didn't know that. 40. Or about or yeah, about 40 well, recre- countries. Recreationally, there's only really two. Right. There's, I think, uh, Uruguay. Right. And on a federal, on a federal, yeah. on a fe- full legalization. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I mean, like rec, um, that 40 number includes rec and medical. Right. Okay. Right? Got it. Got it. Um, and so with that, just kind of going forward, I mean, it's not a near term view. It's not maybe not even a five year view, but mm-hmm. right now the main focus from investors, including yeah. ourselves yep. is U.S., Right, we're, Absolutely. We're, we're we're very U.S. heavy. If we were portfolio managers and this was a global investment strategy, we would be like eighty percent U.S. and twenty percent everything else, right? Absolutely. And I think that that's got to kind of change a little bit, mm-hmm. um, because you know I think investors will start focusing slowly on Mexico, on other countries like Israel, Australia is sure. one that's coming up, Latin America, just in general. Um, all these countries that are going to come online. One caveat, we've already touched on this, that I will just reiterate, is that this is going to develop slowly. Absolutely. Right? This is not an overnight thing. This is not a, hey, I'm going to buy this uh, whatever com- com- company that has exposure to this global market, and in three months, I'm going to triple my money. That's sure. not what I'm, what I'm saying at sure. all. But I think that long-term... There's, there's real long-term businesses to be built in these places. For sure. For sure. Now, I, I think, you know, to, to just kind of finish that point, I think that... I think the beauty of what we're seeing in the U.S. is that with this, since, you know, people who don't understand the market, I think, or just don't know the U.S. market, they'll often say, um, I don't like the U.S. because it's so fragmented. There's 50 different markets. I think what people are missing is that's actually a blessing in disguise. Because in Canada, theoretically, you have one big legal market, right? But you don't actually. You have one big federal legalization, but then you have a bunch of um, many, like you have a bunch of markets because you have different provinces and you have to adhere to their rules, right? So like in Quebec, you don't have vapes. In Ontario, you do, right? Stuff like that. 
in the U.S., you've got 50 different chances to get it right. So, you know, the, the you know, in California, it's going horribly wrong in a lot of ways, right? In um, Illinois, it looks like it's going gangbusters. So that just shows you, like, that that's the opportunity there because each market that turns online will do it in a slightly different way. So that lets you experiment a bunch of different ways. So at the end, you can look at all the different markets and say, okay, what did Illinois do right? Right. Mm-hmm. What did what is Florida doing? Right. What is et cetera, et cetera. So so I think that's actually an opportunity. And as each one of those markets goes online, um, that's another domino. Right. And you're you know, you're talking about very correctly. Hey, you have to take a longer term view. I think once enough dominoes fall, this will speed up faster than we would think. For sure. Right. So so just just to finish off the point about new markets, I think that to me is by far the largest opportunity. And by the way, Abby. As an investor, I'm not looking even at Mexico or Europe. I don't even care. Like, yes, those are positive. I'm not necessarily putting my money there today unless I can see a path. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the U.S., as you know, and we've got New Jersey on the ballot for 2020. That is as close to a lock as we're going to get, in my opinion. Right? For sure. That is, I think, uh, 10 or 12 million people. That's like, you know, Quebec going going public. I mean, that is huge. Yeah. New York, which is, you know, it's still being figured out. That is has the potential for 20 million people and, an, and a major tourist hub and the hub of Wall Street, right? That is massive. Like, we are talking about, with the flip of a switch, billions of dollars that are going to be spent every year in these markets. So that, to me, is why I'm so excited about this opportunity, because once you flip the switch, you're, doing, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars of sales right. very quickly. For sure. Very quickly. Now, the, the problem is, and what you have to look at carefully as an investor, is, you know, are, are the rules and regulations conducive to people actually making money, right? So in New York, it's a very limited license state. There's probably only 20 license holders, I think, something like that. Yeah. And most of them are public companies. So that's actually a great market if that goes wreck. That's really going to benefit the entire industry. Right, right. Right. So, so those markets turning on... That represents just the lowest hanging fruit you can possibly grab. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're right. Like near term, lo- near longer term, the U.S. is definitely something that you and I both agree with. You said one thing that I want to kind of touch touch on, which I really agree with you on, is that you have 50 opportunities to get it right. Or, absolutely. Right. Or you know, you can look at it or from get person. it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is an optimistic episode. So 50 chances to get it right. Yeah, but if you but if you get it wrong, you know, you get it wrong in, you know, one state out of 50. You know what I mean? Like you're right. not you don't get it wrong in the whole country. Exactly. And so that if of course everybody knows the US and I don't know if anyone if you've gone east to west coast or if you've done any midwest states, the geographical climate <clears throat> or sorry, the climate and the geographical terrain in the US changes drastically. Totally. It goes from... I mean, Florida versus Michigan. Absolutely. It right. goes from the desert to, like, ski hills right. in one country, yep. right? Absolutely. So a lot of other countries, like Mexico, for example, doesn't necessarily do that, right? Oh, interesting. Okay. Right? So you can look at the U.S. from an inter- from when you're looking at international opportunities. You can look at each state and say, okay, well, look, Florida made sense for what they did. Mm-hmm. They're near the equator. It's tropical. They mm-hmm. don't get too much snow. Um well, they can sort of grow with these outdoor hoop houses, exactly. right? which it's much harder to do if you're in the Northeast. Right. 
Or if you're exactly, or no, that's not, that's not even talk about Northeast. Let's talk about a different country that maybe like Iceland, okay, for sure, example. Sure, sure, sure. Right. Iceland would probably not do something very similar to what Florida did. Sure. Right. They can look at each state. Right. Okay. And they can look back. at Michigan or they can look at Toronto and they can see what people have done here. Exactly. And then try to mimic that model. Right. So I really like that aspect of, of the US. Yes. I mean, obviously I would like to see full federal legalization, remove these artificial state boundaries, allow the the product to be transported using rail and air. So let's let's talk about that for a second, because a lot of people, um, I think one of their arguments against the U.S. MSOs is, you know, when we get full federal legalization, these guys are going to be in a bad position because they'll have, you know, 50, not 50, but they'll have, you know, every state they're in, they've duplicated their operations. They haven't achieved operational efficiency. Exactly. So somebody new coming in who builds a giant facility in the middle of the country will absolutely dominate, right? For sure. I mean, I can give Sorry, you... I, just to, to finish it off, yeah. I disagree with that. I think that states are not going to let this business go. After they've regulated it so strictly for so long and they've that's their tax base, that's their workers, they're not giving that up. Yeah, I mean, look, eventually it's going to... Look, I just, I just I disagree. I disagree. I think they're going to fight tooth and nail to keep these companies sure, sure. right in their borders. I'm a free market like capitalist, and yep. I fully believe in the laws of supply and demand. Yep. And especially down in the states, they understand how business works. That's correct. Right. Yep. The lowest cost producer will eventually win. However, though, I mm. agree with you to a certain point. It's going to be very difficult. Even let's just say tomorrow federal legalization happens, all these boundaries are are gone. You are not going to knock True Leaf out of Florida. Oh, no, of course not. Right? So what ends up happening, yes, you didn't necessarily achieve uh, um, operational efficiencies, but you did develop brand equity. And in some in some circumstances, brand equity could be more valuable than the operational efficiencies that you could you could achieve. Well, right? Well, sorry. And, and here's, here's the thing, too. Like, we have to remember, like, these these counties, these states, whatever, they're not going to throw the reins off and let people go crazy, even if it is legal. No, absolutely like you, You've not. seen how difficult the rollout's been in Canada. You're like, you know, to your point about truly even Florida, what people don't realize is, yes, they control the whole supply chain. Yes, they're a monster, but they've got like 40 retail locations, right? Like, you're not going to be able to just come in and start putting new retail locations in every corner. Like, that's not going to happen. No, but what you could do instead is be like, we're true leave. Yes. We're, you know what, Manish, you're out in Portland, Oregon. Yes. You've got 40 stores. You continue to run the stores. We're just going to buy and put our brand in front of it. You're like, all right, fine. You know, yeah, Starbucks no, no. does this yeah, with I, I, I agree. coffee. No, no, right? I agree. But what the, just the point I'm making is tomorrow, if you go full federal legalization, it doesn't mean suddenly... XYZ company can come in and just open 200 stores, right? Like the existing guys have this competitive advantage because even if there is, you know, full federal legalization, legalization, there's going to be a very controlled and slow rollout. For sure. For right? sure. I the, think what I was trying to get more on was, again, you know, I we've chatted about this earlier today, but... Um, you, you you always make funny for this one, the labels and brands, right? right, right there's right. there's, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of labels out there, no brands out there. I think when the brand, when a brand does emerge, yeah. then it'll be just like every other industry. They don't need to go build out those 40 stores, right? Or 400 stores or how many of stores. They don't need to do that. They can just go and tack their name on. They can go, yeah, do M&A and just slap their name on and, stuff. And, but allow the owner operator to just continue the way it is. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Good. yeah that's, and, good. that's a fair point. Right. And so Starbucks does this with third wave coffee shops where, you know, Starbucks is a brand, but there's like coffee shops that uh, attract the local crowd. They're a higher brand of coffee. Okay. Starbucks will buy this coffee shop, but not rebrand it. 
Really? Yeah. I, they, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's, it's, it's a genius business model. Okay. Because now they're reaping in the profits. Sure. They're giving all the operational efficiencies of whatever that Starbucks can offer. They're yep. not messing around with quality. They're not changing anything on it. All they're doing is just buying out the entrepreneur. Interesting. And Interesting. I, I forget which one it was. There's one really famous one in, in Toronto that... Uh, that they did that. That they, that they did Interesting. This okay. Yeah. Good, good point. So, so touching on more of the, um, you know, the the optimism and why it's such a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. My thesis is we have not seen a lot of the CPG players jump into the space yet, right? So we saw uh, Constellation Brands jump in. We saw um, Altria jump in. And these guys all came in early. And I think they took it on the chin for that because what we were talking about is in 18, it was very hard to see who's who, right? We didn't, we didn't know who was going to be the best performing and who was not going to be the best performing. Now we've got a pretty clear idea of who's in trouble and who's not, right? If you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. So I think the next wave, um, once we clear out a lot of the dead wood and we get rid of a lot of the noise, which I think 2020 is going to be a year of that, as we get into 21, I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, you're going to see more CPG companies jump into the space. Yeah. Okay. And to be clear, I don't mean that Coca-Cola tomorrow is going to jump in because those big guys, they've got more to lose. They're going to be slower. They're going to get in eventually, I think, but they're going to be slower and more controlled in how they do it. I'm really talking about the smaller mid-tier companies. So guys like Arizona Ice Tea, right? They made a investment into Dixie Brands, or they had a partnership with them at least. I think you're going to see more of that, right? So iconic beverages or, or brewing in in uh, Ontario um, has a uh, a line of like mixed drinks and stuff, and they they had a gin smash drink that was very popular. Sure, they've got these cottage spring vodka sodas that I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're doing uh, a white label deal with Valens, where Valens will produce uh, two beverages for them: one t CBD and one THC. Yeah. So they're getting their feet wet, right? And these guys are experienced, smart business operators. They know what they're doing, unlike a lot of these cannabis companies, which are now going to go to zero. Right. Yeah. So this is my thesis. This will be the next wave of money that comes into the space. For sure. It, it will be smart players who say, okay, I want to be involved. I want an edible. I want a beverage. I want whatever the product format is. But they're not going to go get the license, guys. They're not going to go buy the facility or, or go get their facility licensed. They're going to go to the experts and the, allow the experts to do it for them. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why I think the extractors like many farm labs and valence will do well. And maybe even some of the LPs like Organigram has talked about they're going to be a white label edible manufacturer. Great. Right. So that is actually, I think, a huge catalyst, which is on the horizon. I don't know if it'll happen this year, but I think we're going to see it more and more going forward. And this actually segues pretty well into the third point. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're right. That will happen. Um, that's inevitable. It doesn't necessarily have to be THC and CBD. Sure. As we study this flower more and yes. more, the third point is that the cannabinoids that are present there, we're going to start seeing a broadening of applications. Absolutely. Whether it's sleep, calm, stress relief. So then brands that don't necessarily want to be associated with the psychoactive component right. will start to enter. Right? right. For instance, maybe NyQuil will have a sleep Type. I have no idea if they're going to do that or not, but it's just one thing that came to, uh, 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 sorry, came to my mind. And so, well, that that's like Dreamwater, right? So Dreamwater yeah. is for sleep, and Harvest One bought them. Yeah, now, but Dreamwater is not like a real. It's not like 
It's not like a, a massive CPG. No, no, absolutely right. it's not, yeah. right? But that's what I'm saying. The next, in my opinion, the next wave is companies like that, like not massive CPGs. But eventually, I think you're right. I think if it, once it's, once it's a certain level and it's it's not considered as risky for them, yeah. I think they will start jumping in. And once we start studying this plant more and more and we start discovering what these cannabinoids can start doing is we can actually move away from the psychoactive component. You know, totally. there could just yeah. be one aspect that becomes psychoactive and there could be one aspect that's medicinal, one aspect that's wellness related, one yes. aspect that's et cetera. We have no idea. This is, it's still a nascent industry the fundamental plant is still being studied. Yes, there are over five hundred distinct compounds in this uh, in this plant. Wow, I didn't know that. It's a I, lot. That's crazy. Sorry, I don't, I'm not talking about cannabinoids, like distinct compounds. Compounds, Got right? It. Yeah, okay. chemical compounds. I've heard anywhere from over hundred to one hundred and forty cannabinoids. Um, the number changes depending on what scientists you're talking okay. about. In Israel, we heard a lot about that. And just so far, it's been an abundant focus towards THC and CBD. Right. We've started seeing CBG and CBN come out. Yep. But as more and more and more of these come out, you're going to then get, you know, the other. You're going to start hearing larger, about more. Yeah. We, we then don't you'll even, get. There's so yeah. many parts of this plant we don't even understand yet. Exactly. And again, because of the illegality, we haven't been able to do research. Absolutely. So this is what we're opening doors to, right? But And I think this is a longer term focus, to be honest For with you. For sure. I but, think it's, yeah. But CBG, CBD, and CBN, these are all things I personally just started hearing about last year. Yeah, right? same so here. So I think we're going to see a lot of money going into researching them and learning more about them. Exactly, exactly. And then this goes well into the, the, the fourth point on it. Now, this is, for me, I think we're... We're, we're really, 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 really early in the space on this one, but biosynthetics, right? So biosynthetics, what that basically it means is synthetically creating the cannabinoids, not extracting it from the plant, but instead understanding how the molecular co uh, composition of each cannabinoid is, isolating for that, and then recreating that in a lab. Right. Now, a lot of people who smoke dry flour or who are uh, all about the organics might disagree with me. But I really think that that is a natural progression, especially for the medicinal For the pharmaceutical of it. side of yeah, it. Yeah, especially yeah. for the pharmaceutical um, side of it. Because if you can create a consistent product, right. right, in a lab that will do exactly what it says, that has an onset and an offset, right, right, key, like very key offset being there, mm -hmm. I think that doctors who are a little hesitant right now to sort of prescribe for their client or their patient to smoke, vape, sure. eat, whatever sure. cannabis, sure, sure, sure. I think that they're going to be a lot more uh, compelled to do so. And right. so that's another avenue of this of the, of the sector that, you know, we haven't really touched on. And yes, there's a lot of term, there's, there's a lot of turbulence happening in the markets right now. But if you guys remember, we always say, don't invest in stocks, invest in companies. Yeah. Right. And we're going to take it one step further. And for us, we're investing in this entire sector and we're not investing in this sector because we can make quick money. We've been fortunate. We've made quick money on it. Um, lost, but, quick, lost quick money too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it goes out fast and it comes in. I'll tell you that. But we actually really think that there's a massive, massive, massive opportunity yes. for this, for, for the sector, for this plant, for this flower, for the synthetic comp composition. And, when we were chatting, you mentioned something about why you like to invest in Toronto. Yeah. So you so, want to touch on that? Sure. So so it's, it's probably a good point to close it up on, which is, you know, 
when I talk to people about Toronto and commercial real estate in Toronto, um, prices have never been higher in Toronto. Okay, like it's it's been an absolute bull run for commercial real estate in almost in every sector really over the last seven to ten years. And yet, when you talk to the people who are buying the real estate, they still feel really good about it. And the reason is just because, from a fundamentals perspective, you're getting new immigration every year of about 150,000 people migrating to the greater Toronto area, right? All those people have to live somewhere. They want to work somewhere. They got to eat. So that keeps, that fuels the, under, the, the underlying economy that, that keeps, you know, everything going, right? The second thing is, from a fundamentals perspective, the land is scarce, Right. There's fundamentally, there's only so much land and also um, building anything, you know, properly in in Ontario and probably even Canada is absurdly expensive. It's it takes way too long. It's way too expensive. So when you put all those pieces together, what you get is you get a market where you're going to continually have more people. You're going to have, you know, a, a, a expanding economy um, and the replacement cost of your assets keeps going up. Right. And there's seems to be no end in sight. So you might go, like, you might, you know, in the short term or the medium term, you might, not might, might, at some point you will have a recession. Things will go down. Right. But you like Toronto as an investment vehicle, even with that recession being factored in, you're still pouring money into the city. Yes, absolutely. And and I think that's how a lot of people feel is the long-term potential of the city is very good. And when you look at it from a 10, 15 year time horizon, you feel really good about where it's going. So cannabis moves a lot quicker than, than commercial real estate in general. So I would say that, you know, using that same metaphor, thesis, what you're getting now is you're getting a rapidly evolving industry, right? Canada did like a billion two of sales last year. You know, we have a bet going, but we think there'll be, I think they'll do between two and two and a half this year. That's a doubling of sales. That is incredible, right? And again, there's a lot of challenges. You got to be careful who you pick. But the underlying fundamentals of the market are growing at a rapid, rapid clip. Yeah, regardless probably... of in our, in our bet, we both have increased sales from 2019. Oh, absolutely. Right? Huge increases, right? For sure. So when you look at it that way, you have valuations going down, coming back to reality. I think they still have some room to go because, again, we're going to get rid of a lot of companies and that's going to create a lot of issues. But the companies coming out of this, I think, will be true rocket ship opportunities where you can get in at a low cheap, reasonable valuation, and the company gets to just keep growing on the fundamentals. And then the third layer of it is the capital has dried up for the new players. So it's very, very difficult to raise capital for new companies. So these guys are going to have a huge moat around them. And they're going to be in a position where people don't even bother getting licenses. They're just going to come to them to white label manufacture for them. Right, exactly. So the problem in Canada, yes, it's rollout. Yes, it's regulatory, blah, blah, blah but it's also an oversaturation of competitors. And as you clear out a bunch of those competitors, the pie grows for everybody involved, right? And the pie is already growing anyway. And there's less people eating the pie. Exactly, right? The pie is doubling, and now there's less people at the table eating it, right? So that is is why it's such an exciting opportunity. And that's why, you know, when I say pain's coming, I don't go to 100% cash because my holdings are high quality, and I'm happy to hold them long term. And I don't... I, I. we can't time the market 100%. For sure. And just to give a quick recap on here, why both Manish and I remain optimistic on the space, you know, there's four main catalysts. We really think that the growth in retail distribution in Canada, along with Cannabis 2.0, adds to it. There's continued expansion on the international uh, scale 
whether it's recreational or medicinal, more countries come online. Uh, that includes the states in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, the third being the broadening application of cannabinoids, which then would be a, a nice catalyst to attract, you know, mid-tier and large-tier CPG companies. And then lastly, the biosynthetic aspect of the plant, which would add more credibility to the pharmaceutical side and maybe companies like Johnson & Johnson start coming in. Sure. Interesting. Okay. All right, guys, that's it. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you think. CINpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decision, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and st strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Mm -hmm.